بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد نسلی اللہ رسول الکریم اما بار الحمد للہ جنائٹ از دا ٹوینٹی فرسٹ آف جنوری ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ Jamadi Athani or Jamadi the, the second month just prior to the month of Rajab so this may be the last night of this month therefore tomorrow the glorious month of Rajab may start so due to this to mention a, a few reports about this blessed month so first of all Allah the Almighty and Glorious He mentions in Surah Tawbah Surah 9 verse 36 Of them four are sacred. Thus do not wrong yourselves therein. So this is part of the holy verse, Surah 9 verse 36. So Allah the Almighty and Glorious, He mentions that there's four holy months. And within those months, Do not harm yourselves there in meaning. Take extra precaution to keep away from sin. The four holy months. One is Rajab, which may start tomorrow night. And, the, and this is the seventh month of Islam. And then you've got the three consecutive, the 11th, the 12th and the first. Zulqa'da, Zulhijjah and Muharram. So the Quran sets the stage by mentioning we should avoid sin. And what? better deed to prevent us from committing sins than the glorious deed of fasting. So in this holy month, there are reports. So to mention a few. So the first is recorded by Imam Suyuti Rahmatullahi in his Jami As-Saghir, number 5051. Abdullah ibn Abbas, he said that the Prophet Wasallam's report to have said, the fast of the first day of Rajab is an expiation for three years. The fast of the second day is expiation for two years. And the fast of the third day is expiation of one year. Thereupon the fast of each remaining day is the expiation of one month. So here in this report, it mentions that the first day of Rajab is a very valuable day on which to fast. And graciously, if you keep the fast on the first day, then three years of your sins are forgiven. If you keep the fast on the second, two years of your sins are forgiven. And the third, one year of your sins are forgiven. And thereafter, a month for each day. Also, in another report, this is recorded in Behaki, in Shu'ab al-Iman, number 3801. Sayyidina Anas, he relates that our beloved messengers reported to have said, whoever keeps one fast in Rajab, it would be equivalent to one year of fasting. So stopping the report, there's no contradiction. In the previous report, it mentions purification of sin. This mentions its equivalent in virtue. So you get three years of sins forgiven. If you keep the first day of Rajab, you fast. And you get the reward of fasting for also a year. And then the report continues, mentioning at the end, Nuh alayhi salatu wasalam, he boarded the ark in Rajab. 
And he, alayhi salatu wasalam, not only fasted himself, but also ordered his companions to fast. His ark traveled for six months until the 10th of Muharram, the day of Ashura. So here, the narration mentions something fascinating. Nuh, alayhi salatu wasalam, when the ark, when they were all on the blessed ark, and the rain came, he told the companions to fast, and that was Rajab. So the actual flood, for want of a better word, started in the month of Rajab. And then it traveled for six months. So six months later, of course, is the first month of the calendar, Muharram, another holy month. And it was the day of Ashura that it rested. And in fact, there's a hadith in Imam Ahmad's Musnad which mentions that the ark of Nuh rested on Mount Judi on the day of Ashura, confirming this. So note, his ark, his blessed ark, began in a holy month. And it finished on a, on a holy month as well. In another report in Behaki in Shu'ab al-Iman, number 3800, our beloved messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, is reported to have said, In paradise there is a river called Rajab, whose water is whiter than milk and sweeter than honey. The one keeping one fast in the month of Rajab, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will assuredly give him drink of its water. So subhanAllah, there's actually a river called Rajab and the one who keeps just a single fast in this holy month is entitled to drink from that blessed river. So these are some of the reports mentioning the virtues of fasting. So it's important to point out, which I mention uh, every year, that Hafiz ibn Rajab al-Hambali rahmatullah in his Lata'if al-Ma'arif, page 244 of the English translation, he stated, there is no authentic hadith on the merit of fasting specifically in Rajab. They all suffer from weakness. Neither from Rasulullah nor from the companions. But the renowned Tabi'i Abu Qilaba, who died 104 AH, he said, There is a grand palace in paradise for those who fast in Rajab. This is in Behaki in Shu'ab al-Iman, number 3802, with the Sahih channel transmission. Imam Behaki, he stated, Abu Kelaba is from amongst the senior tabi'in. Someone like him will simply not say anything unless he received it from a reliable source. So the great Hafiz ibn Rajab al-Hambali, who was one of the renowned Hanbali sheikhs, he said that there are reports, which I've mentioned a few, but they suffer from weakness. Meaning you can't establish it as a sunnah because it's not flawless back to the Prophet But there is an authentic report, he says. And the senior tabi'in Abu Qilabu, who so many of the great companions, he said that if you fast in Rajab, you will receive a grand palace in paradise. So if there was no virtue in fasting in Rajab, why would he mention this? So therefore, the Imams... Hafiz al-Jaziri in his fiqh al-Madhahib al-Arba'ah or uh, page 747 of the English translation the four schools of thought it mentions there the Hanafis, Malikis and Shafis they all state it is mustahab recommended to fast in Rajab and Sha'aban the Hanbalis add it is makru to fast every day of Rajab would recommend it to fast some of it. So, how have the Imams looked at these hadiths of the Prophet and the Salaf? They've taken it into consideration, meaning it's not fabricated. How do we know they've taken it into consideration? Because they've all stated, and there's a consensus, 
it is recommended to fast in shaaban uh, in rajab and also shaaban so if there was no base to these reports they would not have said this so putting it simply it becomes an innovation if you do the following you label any of the fasts of rajab as sunnah then it's an innovation or number 2 you insist on fasting any of the recommended days so you insist that people should keep the fasts on these days this is the innovative practice so if somebody wants to keep the fasts and you encourage him fine but don't insist on it and you must not label it as sunnah and like i mentioned all of the imams have agreed to fasting in this holy month and look what imam akbar said which is fascinating he goes don't fast every day of rajab So he went to another level as if to say, well, people don't keep one fast. But he was actually saying, don't keep all the fasts uh, in this month. And there's a report, I'll mention it. Hafiz ibn Rajib rahmatullahi in his Lata'if al-Ma'arif, page 246 of the English translation, he mentions, Abu Bakr, radiyallahu, he saw his family members making preparations for fasting in Rajib. So he said to them, are you making Rajib like Ramadan? He then threw baskets and mugs at them. So Abu Bakr one of the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he noticed that his family were making preparations like it was Ramadan meaning for the entire month so he warned them because it's not Ramadan indicating don't keep the entire month of Rajab in uh, in fasting and there's also another report the Tabi'in Ata rahmatullah alayhi said Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam prohibited fasting the entire month of Rajab for fear it will be celebrated as a month of festivity <laughs> This is in Abdul Razak in his Al-Musannaf. So the Prophet actually prohibited this, which is why Imam Ahmad said what he said. Rahmatullahi. And also, the first night of Rajab, which may be tomorrow, but certainly the day after, is the night of Dua. And there's a report. The hadith is in Behaki in his, Shu'ab, uh, in his Sunan, number 6386, and Shu'ab al-Iman, number 3711. Abdul Razak in his Al-Musannaf number 7927 and Ibn Asakir Dailabi in his Mustad Firdaus relate similar. So the report mentions that Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu anhu he said there are five special nights in which dua are not rejected and they are the night preceding Friday i Thursday night the five the first night of Rajab the 15th night of Sha'aban and the two nights preceding the eats so one is a weekly night that's the friday night every week thursday night using the western calendar your duas will get answered then what did the hadiths mention first night of rajab is a night on which duas get answered so maybe tomorrow night inshallah and then the 15th night of shaaban and the two nights uh, of eat and there's a dua which the prophet made sallallahu alaihi wasallam which you'll hear again and again and the hadith which is recorded in ahmad in his musnad number 2342 behaki in his shu'ab al-iman number 3815 tabrani in his usat number 3939 bazar abu nu'aym al-hilya 6269 ibn asini number 659 and others sayyidina anas radiyallahu he relates that our beloved messenger when he saw the new moon of rajab he would make the following dua o allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us in the months of rajab and shaaban and convey us safely to the month of ramadan amen o allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us in the months of rajab and shaaban and convey us safely to the month of ramadan 
So not, and this hadith also has a weakness, which is important to highlight. There is a slight weakness in it, but it's mentioned in the famous collections. So what dua did the Prophet make, sallallahu alayhi wa Blesses in Rajab and Sha'aban. So note again, Sha'aban famously is known for fasting. Many people fast in that blessed month. Rajab is ignored. So why would the Prophet make a dua to bless Rajab if there was nothing to do in Rajab? So note, Rajab is a very sacred month, definitely one of the four holy months. And there's things to do within that holy month. And I've just mentioned a few of the things which are mentioned in the various blessed reports. So make preparations, inshallah. Hopefully, tomorrow would be the first night. So returning to Sayyidina Anas' blessed life, radiyallahu So tonight is the 33rd night that we're going through his illustrious life. And yesterday I made a start on a glimpse into his phenomenal worship. Sayyidina Anas, radiyallahu he would be very particular about all the blessed sunnah during salah. For instance, in Sayyid Muslim, number 727, Sayyidina Anas, he relates, Rasulullah used to sit between the two prostrations at length that people would think he had forgotten. I to prostrate for the second prostration. So let's look at this. So in this flawless report, Anas radiallahu said that in between the two prostrations, this is a shallow sitting as they say. The Prophet sallallahu he lengthened that sitting. And the people would think he's forgotten, meaning he's forgotten the second prostration. Thus, Thabit rahmatullah said, Sayyidina Anas radiallahu did something I do not see you practice. He used to sit between the two prostrations for so long that we would say he has forgotten. This is in Sayyid Bukhari, number 778, Sayyid Muslim, number 1060. Look how beautiful. Anas relates that this was the sunnah of the Prophet. He would sit between the two prostrations and people would think he's forgotten. Anas' student, Thabit Rahmatullah, said that my teacher Anas did something I don't see you practice. Look how interesting. It was one of the sunnahs that was lost very quickly. And he goes, he used to sit between the two prostrations for so long that we would say he has forgotten. So Anas was observing the Prophet and he was imbibing the sunnah of the Prophet Half is Ibn Qayyim, he commented here, Rahmatullah in Zad al-Ma'ad, volume 1, page 75 to 6 of the English translation. This is a sunnah that most people abandoned after the generation of the companions. As for those who abide by the sunnah and do not pay attention to anything that contradicts it, then they do not care about any type of defiance of the prophetic guidance. I thus bravo to them. So Hafiz ibn Qayyim, he wrote a very famous work called Zad al-Ma'at, The Provisions for the Traveller. And what's shocking about this work is that he wrote this on his journey to Hajj. So he was not in his library, he didn't have access to his books, it was just from his memory. And if you look at the what he wrote about the Prophet you are blown away with this deep knowledge of the, of the Sunnah. Because he's travelling. And the scholars say 99% of the reports that he mentioned from memory were all authentic. So in that blessed work, 
he talks about this. So imagine <laughs> traveling on Hajj, all the hardships, and he's talking about this sunnah. And he goes, this is a sunnah that most people have abandoned. Now think about that. You know, the fact that I've mentioned it, were you aware it's a sunnah? Then he said, if you abide by the sunnah, bravo to you. He goes, basically stuff the people's condemnation. So you should try and get this into your life. It's a sunnah. You know, people are obsessed with bidda hasanas. Because it's not sunnah and it's this and that. And they start doing gymnastics. This is a flawless report from the Prophet. He would do this. So what would he do in between the two prostrations which lengthened it? So the scholars point out the zikr. Rabbi khfilli, Rabbi khfilli. This is a short zikr. Allahumma khfilli, warhamni, wa'adni, wajburni, warzukni, warfani. I love the longer zikr. So these are du'as. Oh my Lord, forgive me. Oh my Lord, forgive me. Oh my Lord, provide for me. Oh my Lord, guide me. So it's a place you can make a supplication. So in between the two prostrations, lengthen it. And this is a sunnah of the Prophet So what would I suggest? I suggest that do it once during the day. Just pick a prayer out, you know, an optional prayer. Obviously in the Farad people might get confused. So don't do it if you're leading the prayer because obviously they start saying subhanallah, thinking you forgot. But in your own personal worship, do it. You know, it's a sunnah of the Prophet, priceless. Let us just rush to once again bring to life this blessed, priceless sunnah of our beloved Messenger. And the irony of ironies, let alone the sunnah, people rush to that position. Therefore, either terminating their salat or greatly reducing its rewards. Because according to uh, Imam Ahmad, if you rush to a position of the prayer, your prayer is gone. Mm-hmm. It's an obligation to rest. And one of the areas in which people have noticed rush is between the two prostrations. So they come out of the first prostration. They haven't even stayed in their bike. And they go straight into the second. So according to Imam Ahmad, the prayer is gone. Imam Abu Hanifa said, it is wajib to pause in between the positions. So the prayer according to the Hanafis, it is still valid. But you must offer a prostration of an error, prostration of forgetfulness. If you don't offer that prostration of forgetfulness, the prayer is gone, according to the Hanafis. So whatever the case, this is the dry fig. If you were following the Sunnah, it was impossible for you to restore that position. Why? Because the Prophet lengthened that position. And similarly, Anas radiyallahu he said, when Rasulullah sallallahu said, Sami'allahu liman hamidah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hears those who praise him. He would stand for so long, we would think he's forgotten. This is in Sayyid Muslim, number 1061, in the chapter on Salah. So note again, Anas narrating this. So again, the howl, you see people coming out of the duku, they haven't even stayed in their bikes. And they're going to sujood. So they go, Brother, what did you just mumble? Anas said the Prophet stood for so long, we thought, as he forgot, is it, you know, as he forgot that he's actually come out of Ruku. Thus, Thabit said, his student, Anas who used to do something that I have not seen you do. When he raised his head from Ruku, he would stand so long that one would think he's forgotten. This is in Sayyid Muslim, number 1060, in the chapter on Salah. So, Anas, Following the Prophet, he goes, and Thabit said, you've lost that as well. 
You've lost that sunnah between the two prostrations and you've also lost this one which Anas used to do. Note that it is in these two very positions where many fail to pause and rest, thus jeopardizing their salah. Hence one of the obvious wisdoms of this priceless sunnah. Another wisdom could be that one most humbly remains motionless in those positions, praising and begging one's Lord in one's heart for the fulfillment of one's various needs. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Whatever the case, let us rush to once again bring to life these blessed priceless sunnah of our beloved messenger. So, so summarizing very simply. There is two positions in Salat which you need to be very careful not to rush through. The sitting between the two prostrations and the standing after the ruku. We've discussed the fiqh. But it's sunnah to prolong those positions. What do you do in those positions? So what did the Prophet say when he came out of ruku? Rabbana lakal hamd, which is the simple dhikr. Rabbana wa lakal hamd, another zikr. Allahumma rabbana wa lakal hamd. Hamdan kathiran tayyiban mubarakan fi Another zikr. And there's other zikrs. You notice there's so many du'as and that is what the Prophet was reciting. And notice Anas' observation of the Prophet He didn't leave the sunnah of the Prophet And his student was rebuking his students. He goes, you've left what Anas used to do. He goes, he was emulating the Prophet. Who are you emulating? Thus, to conclude, Abu Huraira ultimately said in praise of Anas, I have not seen anyone more similar in Salah to Rasulullah than a son of Umm Salim. I have not seen anyone more similar in Salah to Rasulullah than the son of Umm Salim. This is in Ibn Sa'ad in Istabakat, volume 1, page 12 of the English translation in the chapter on the companions of the Prophet Muhammad who settled in Basra. Hafid Dhahbi in his Seer, volume 3, page 400. Ibn Kathir Sira, volume 4, page 470 of the English translation. Ma'arif al-Hadith, volume 4, page 576 of the New English translation. So now you need to know who Abu Huraira is. <laughs> Abu Huraira was a phenomenon. His worship was incredible. His narrating of Hadith is legend. He was a great, you know, alim amongst the scholars, amongst the Sahaba. He's praising Anas. He goes, I've not seen anybody's salat similar to the Prophet's more than his. <laughs> Um Sulaim son. Now, why do you think he said that? Because he was so observant of the sunnahs of the Prophet. And Anas ibn Sirin, he echoed, Kana Anasan Ahsanan Nasi Salata Fis Safari Wal Hadr. Anas who was the best of the people in Salah when traveling or resident. SubhanAllah. This is an Ahmad in his Musnad, number 4082, with a Sahih chain of transmission. Hafiz Zahabi in his Seer, volume 3, page 400. Ibn Kathir Sida, volume 4, page 470 of the English translation. So one of his students who had his name, Anas ibn Sidi, he goes, Anas was the best of people in Salat, Fisafar wal Hadar, when he was journeying and also resident, because I've not seen anybody like his Salat, in line with the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa so note, the people who saw him, they were blown away by his prayer because he's reminding us of the Prophet And we shouldn't find this strange. Why? Because what did I mention yesterday? 
I mentioned that he would offer salat so long that his feet would bleed. <laughs> so somebody could say, well, did the Prophet's feet bleed? And the response is, did his feet not swell up <laughs> when he offered the Hajj? And then his family members would ask, Ya Rasulullah, you don't need to strain yourself. Allah Ta'ala has forgiven you your past and future uh, lapses. And the Prophet said, should I not be a grateful servant? Because I should show gratitude for that great favor you're mentioning to me in Bukhari and Muslim. So his feet would swell. And don't forget, he was given immense strength by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Anas, just like the Prophet, his feet would crack, you know, open and the blood would flow. But of course, this wasn't something painful for him. He looked to offer salat. And look at the praise that the, his contemporaries gave him. Subhanallah. So all I mentioned today was basically uh, a brief on the blessed month of Rajab, the holy month of Rajab, which is may start tomorrow night. Uh, what deeds we are encouraged to do, and of course it's the glorious deed of fasting. And I mentioned that don't call it a sunnah and don't insist upon it. This is where the innovation lies. And don't fast the entire month of Rajab. Uh, so obviously we should be preparing for that holy month. And then I've mentioned a few uh, other blessed narrations with regards to Anas's observance of Rasulullah Salat and in particular two sunnats which people have lost, which should, should get into your life. And not forgetting that if you bring to life a sunnat of the Prophet, you will be with the Prophet in paradise. But these are sunnats which the people lost in the time of the Tabi'een, let alone our time. So again, get these blessed sunnats once again into your short life. Are there any questions you let us ask? Subhanallah bihamdi subhanaka Allahumma bihamdika ashhadu la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaika wa billahi minash shaitani rajeem subhanallah rabbika rabbil izati amma yasifun assalamu alaykum mursaleen walhamdulillahi rabbil alamin bismillahir rahmanir rahim wal asr inna sallallahu fi khusr alladhina amanu wa amilus salihat wa asbil haqq wa asbil sabr sadaqallahu alazim